If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. You're listening to Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program. Welcome to week one, this is, of TNT Radio's latest edition, the video streaming of what we do here on air. We are not only broadcasting live right around the globe, as you should know by now, our hosts and most of our commentators and our special guests will be in your face, so to speak, on our website and on a long list of streaming services such as, as I mentioned yesterday, YouTube, X and Rumble, just to name a few. It's an exciting step forward. And by all means, let us know what you think. Maybe you can jump on that talkback line, wherever you might be, and let us know whether you think it is worth the while. I'm sure it is. You can phone through from the United States or Canada on 1-888-201-6425. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. Now, I've got updates for you on all the biggest stories, what's happening in Gaza City, and another hospital falls prey to another attack. The latest political polls, which are very interesting indeed, I'm talking about polls in the United States and Australia, where both left-wing governments are consistently losing ground. What is happening there? From the UK, the truth's coming out in this COVID inquiry in a flurry with evidence hearing that PM Rishi Sunak thought that the government should just let people die. Now, that could be the final nail in Rishi Sunak's coffin. Uh, This is is red hot, but uh, there are countries that refuse to have a proper inquiry into how they manage COVID because of what is emerging out of the UK inquiry, the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to embarrass both themselves or their colleagues in states and territories. Now, a couple of special guests on the show today, including scholar and historian James D. Eugenio, the world's leading authority on the case of JFK. It is the 60th anniversary of John F. Kennedy's assassination this week. I guess a few of you, uh, that might make you sound rather old or feel old. I get it. I get it. James will let us into what news is emerging on the case still after 60 years. Award-winning Victorian libertarian Toffa Field will join us too in this edition. He's got a book out at the moment. It's titled Good People Break Bad Laws, which is an obvious reference to his experiences in Melbourne during the pandemic lockdown. Um, that and more with Toffer Field. We'll talk to him about Donald Trump as well. Now, there are some statistics out today which have not got much coverage at all, and I think they are crucial. There's statistics on how prevalent suicide is in the former Defence Force cohort, and the numbers are extremely bad. There's a 26% greater likelihood of male Australian vets taking their lives as opposed to the general male population, 26% more likely. And in female vets, this will surprise everyone, it's even worse. Former ADF intelligence officer Shane Healy is someone who suffered from PTSD himself, and he will unpack 
that story for us uh, a little bit later. Also today, Prue McSween will be here to jump on the biggest stories in Australia from the pathetic failure of the government's electric vehicle targets to the local yokel council who should be looking after roads, rubbish and rates, but they want to look after the Gaza Strip. They want to pass a motion tonight at their council meeting, making sure that Benjamin Yetanyahu listens to what they say. This little tiny council in Sydney. Talk about delusions of grandeur. That is the mud map, and I look forward to hearing from you on the Talkback Lines. This is Chris Smith broadcasting live on the Global News Talk Network, TNT Radio. Live. The facts, no spin or agenda. Not enough with the lies, we need the facts. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Now, I was having a text conversation with a friend of mine in London over the weekend. We started with the weather and the football. Uh, which then bounced into Rishi Sunak and his sacked home secretary, Suella Braverman, before she got very fired up about the latest Just Stop Oil protest. Now, if you don't live in London, you don't know how bad this is. Forget the other issues. This hit a raw nerve, and according to her, has hit a raw nerve with many, many of her friends and colleagues. Now, if you're listening from outside of the UK, Just Stop Oil protesters are basically the ultimate in well-organised, almost militant, global boiling protesters. And like all highly annoying climate evangelists, not just the ones who take to the streets and events, but they bash the very sources of fuel which allow them to live their champagne socialist existences. Like every single thing they have, from devices and clothes to cars and homes, either comes from coal-fired power or oil. And they don't kind of get it. Um, I think you're all smart enough to get it, but they aren't. Or they don't want to know about it. And they think that if you take all of that away, that is coal-fired power stations, baseload power, if you take away oil, well, we can all live in luxury, in first world conditions via windmills, solar panels, and anything else they can find to replace oil, which they haven't done just yet. It's not remotely possible for that to happen. And I've spoken to people in the industry on this program who say, forget it for 50 years, 50 years. Anyway, on the Just Stop Oil banners, their mission statements are fairly obvious. If you have a look on Google, which I did for this purpose, they scrawl red paint stating stop oil, stop fossil fuels, stop frying the planet. You'll also find a smattering of various other socialist catch cries, such as no funding for private schools, union solidarity, that's a good one, end racism, and even eat the rich. That's just from the Google images I found overnight. But I'm sure there are plenty more. The ideology is always a long, long way away from the practicalities of a functioning first world society. And ever since the middle of the year, this mob has been working overtime, making daily life for Brits a big pain in the butt. That was when the UK government signed off on 100 new North Sea oil drilling licences. It was a decision based on the state of fragile energy security in the UK. That's what governments have to do, keep the lights on. Uh, you can't magically keep industry going and the power on 
by just praying for green solutions and crossing your fingers and your toes. It doesn't work like that. Someone has to step up and make sure the power continues. But suddenly, the Just Stop Oil fanatics were invigorated. You know, the the waning calendar of protest assignments that they had in the first part of the year was suddenly frantic again. They were going to go everywhere. So teaming up with those other two green nutjob groups, Extinction Rebellion and Insulate Britain, They've successfully ruined the start to many a London day and many a grand event as well, coupled with Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's deliberate reversal of several key net zero policies. The Green Evangelists have been inspired, which is why they're everywhere. They've been shutting down key motorways and bridges, which is one of their more traditional tricks. Uh, They love carrying on at major sporting events too, like a gripping test cricket match. You'll see them turn up late in the day. Wimbledon's an old favourite. Even the World Snooker Championship in Sheffield. Now, there's an oddball event for a group of very rowdy greenies. But they have cultural roots this time round as well. So they've gone out and annoyed the crap out of audiences who've turned up to a recent performance of the musical Les Miserables uh, in London and a proms concert at the Royal Albert Hall. Maybe that's what they call tasteful oil-hating activities. As the BBC reported this week, activists targeted a glorious piece of art earlier this month, smashing the protective glass screen on Diego Valquez's Rockaby Venus with safety hammers. Bang. Uh, Rockaby Venus features a rather sexy goddess lying in a pose on a bed. You may have seen it. What did Venus do uh, to the proliferation of oil? I don't get it. She's hardly a symbol of the oil industry. Anyway, they've blocked Whitehall near number 10 and a whole range of iconic London landmarks as well. But you know what's happening? And this is the fascinating bit. As my good friend pointed out to me during our conversation over the weekend, this trilogy of green evangelistic disruptors have done nothing more than turn off the population of Britain. Even environmentalists, like my friend uh, and uh, many people around her, have started to think about what we can't do without and how silly their protests are because they don't have a solution to maintaining people's living standards but getting rid of oil. So they've actually done themselves a disfavour. This is what people are truly discussing in England. And some passers-by are even beginning to interrupt these staged and very tired protests by making fun of what they're doing. Here's one man from last month who was attempting to educate this rebel. What a brilliant idea. What do you mean just stop oil? All your stuff is made out of oil, you idiots. Your clothes. These jackets, they're all made out of oil. What the hell are you doing here, making a nuisance of yourselves? It's a joke. What a joke. What are you doing here? Get out the road. You're wasting everybody's time and petrol. All these guys, their engines are running all the time, wasting more bloody oil, you nutters. What is this made out of? What are your clothes made out of? How did your clothes get here? They got here by oil. What are you doing? This makes no sense at all, just stop oil. You haven't thought about this. If you want to stop oil, you need to stay at home and go and live in the forest. <laughs> How good is this bloke? Great logical arguments, 
uh, you're stopping the traffic in London, so they're producing more carbon dioxide. If that's what you think is a nasty pollutant, <laughs> and if you don't want to use oil, you've just got to go and live in the forest. How do these oil haters think the world can possibly fulfil the monstrous demand for motor vehicles, building materials, technological devices, and most of the clothes that we wear? How will you do that without oil? Um, they wouldn't have a clue, of course, and that's what's aggravating the Brits. There have been dozens of instances where members of the public, like that bloke, have intervened on these endless protests to tear up banners. They do that all the time. Uh, they've gone in and addressed the crowd themselves in an angry fashion. Uh, some have even pushed them down on the roadway, which is a little bit over the top. So it's getting rather ugly. Now, the Sunak government has also introduced new anti-protest laws to ensure the likes of Just Stop Oil don't ruin important international events or even the daily commute by sabotaging key thoroughfares around London, which they like to do. The BBC says the maximum penalty for the willful obstruction of a highway in England and Wales is 51 weeks in prison. Offenders can also be fined. At this stage, uh, police have gone down the fine route. The governor's also got new powers to prosecute someone who interferes with the operational or use of key national infrastructure. Several transport bodies have even gone to the high court to get injunctions to stop their protests. But you know what? None of that needs to be done because all that has achieved is to reduce the inconvenience by a little bit, by a tad, while infuriating other law-abiding people who still want their right to protest, still want their right to free speech, which is an essential democratic right. In fact, if my straw poll of one friend and her dozens of hardworking mates or any guide, the Just Stop Oil mob are losing the argument because of what they're doing. You see, anyone who argues badly, like anyone who argues and shouts or, or gets punchy or shuts down a city, isn't highly regarded and therefore neither is their argument. So the protest onslaught across Britain right now may actually be bringing the population to their senses, making them think about the message and how stupid the message is about the world's most basic and also most crucial sources of energy and power. It's such an easy thing to say, stop it now. It's never as easy to find a workable, affordable and sizable solution. This is TNT Radio. For Voye Morich on TNT Radio. Shipping group AP Moller Myersk reported a steep drop in third quarter profit and revenue this past weekend and said it would cut at least 10,000 jobs in the face of overcapacity, rising costs and weaker prices, sending its shares tumbling. So that's shipping. Uh, and, and they control one-sixth of global container trade, transporting goods for a host of major retailers and consumer goods companies, including Walmart and Nike. That can't be good. Meanwhile, over in trucking, trucking employment is contracting the fastest on record this century. Mm. So shipping, massively cutting jobs, trucking, fastest contraction on record this country. What is going on? Paul Krugman says everything's fine. Don't worry. Everything's fine. Remember that meme? Uh, Leslie Nielsen, I think, is naked gun. Everything's fine. Meanwhile, in the background, everything is blowing up and burning. Boy Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. 
The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, this week marks the 60th anniversary, would you believe, of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, the 35th President of the United States. President Kennedy was shot on the 22nd of November 1963 as he rode in a motorcade through the streets of Dallas, Texas. The event and its aftermath were broadcast to a stunned nation and the repercussions have changed American and the world to this day. Uh, Thousands of books and documentaries, podcasts, TV shows and Hollywood movies have been dedicated to JFK's assassination. The latest Gallup poll shows that 65% of Americans think the assassination involved a conspiracy and Lee Harvey Oswald did not act alone. Well, my next guest will discuss this and more because this is his thing. James D. Eugenio has been researching the four major assassinations of the 1960s, JFK, Malcolm X, Martin Martin Luther King and Robert F. Kennedy, for the last three decades with special focus on JFK. He's the author of the JFK assassination chokeholds, the JFK assassination and destiny betrayed. He's a screenwriter of Oliver Stone's latest film, JFK Revisited, released in two versions, a two-hour release subtitled Through the Looking Glass and a four-hour version subtitled Destiny Betrayed. James joins us live from L.A. James D. Eugenio, welcome to TNT Radio. Nice to be here. How important is this 60th anniversary of President John F. Kennedy's assassination for Americans, for Americans? In, in my opinion, it's it's quite important as a way of explaining you know, two things. Number one, that our media has bought into this cover story about the way that JFK was supposed to have been killed, namely the Warren report, you know, for the, and and even though those numbers you just quoted are pretty overwhelming, all right, the MSM will not accept them, will not accept the fact. Secondly, uh, I believe that, uh, America's foreign policy since JFK was killed has gone so off the rails, you know, that it's pretty unrecognizable compared to the things that Kennedy was trying to do. Go back to the statement you made about mainstream media. Why won't mainstream media accept alternative theories? You know, that's that's a really good question, Chris. I, you know, I, I don't have a definitive answer. But I, I, I will say this, it's pretty clear that the major press media outlets 
And by that, I mean, remember, we're going back to 1963, not today, Mm -hmm. right? Which were NBC, CBS, and ABC, plus the New York Times, the Washington Post, and Newsweek and Time Magazine. They, They all bought in to the one report. And let me say this. They bought into the one report before it was even published. All right. Because on the very night that the one report was issued, which I believe is September 27th or September the 28th, 1964, both, uh, both NBC and CBS aired specials announcing the one report and essentially going ahead and mimicking their conclusions. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know how long the one report is? It's 888 pages. How is it possible to read an 888-page report? It's not. On the- <laughs> so this is what I mean. Even yeah. without reading the thing, they were buying into its conclusions. Yeah, you've now, just looked- talk about irresponsible journalism. Yeah, exactly. They've taken the conclusion page. They've all accepted it. They've been part of a committee meeting, and they've swallowed it lock, stock, and barrel to never be challenged again. Exactly. You know, would you want to make a? Would you want to admit you made a mistake of those dimensions? You know, and that's what they did. Yeah, you've just launched your latest book this month, titled "The JFK Assassination Chokeholds That Proved There Was a Conspiracy." What up-to-date evidence does it contain, James? All right, thank you for mentioning the book. It just went on sale about two or four days ago. Um, one of the things that we try to do in this book was to arrange an argument that the other side would have a very, very difficult time uh, coming back on. One of the things that we talked about was the mystery of JFK's brain. If you read the one report, you will see that according to them, JFK's brain after he was dead, in other words, after he was, the autopsy was done, weighed 1,500 grams. Now, here's the problem. The average brain weight for a male of his age was 1,340 grams. Here's my question. How could JFK's brain weigh more than the average Impossible. when... When you see the pictures, when you watch the films, the Zapruder film, when you see all the blood and tissue exploding into the air, when you look in the back seat with all the blood and tissue, if Jackie Kennedy reaching out onto the trunk of the car trying to get her husband, and by the way, she did get a piece of his brain and gave it to one of the doctors at Parkland Hospital. How could it possibly, with all that brain tissue flying around, how could it weigh more than the average, you know? What's your explanation for that? I don't think it's JFK's brain in either the pictures or the illustrations. And we can back that up because the official autopsy photographer, a guy named John Stringer, was deposed under oath by the review board, the Assassinations Record and Review Board, I believe in 1997. They showed him the pictures. They put him up on an easel. He walked over to the pictures he looked at him very closely and he said, this is Ansco. Ansco is a type of film. Yeah. He said, I didn't use Ansco. He didn't I use used it. Kodak. All right. You see these numbers here at the right-hand bottom? Yeah. This means these were taken with a press pack. I didn't use a press pack. 
I use dual flow folders. And then the Jeremy Gunn, the lawyer, asked him, are you ready to deny you took these pictures? He said, if that's Ansco and if that's a press pack, I didn't take these pictures. The Warren Commission was established by President Lyndon B. Johnson to investigate the assassination. Why do an overwhelming number of investigation insiders not believe the Warren Commission conclusions? I, I'm really glad you brought that up. That's a, that's one of the chapters in the book. And we went through a list of people. For example, on the Warren Commission, Richard Russell, Senator Richard Russell, Senator John Cooper, and Hale Boggs all were ready to record a dissenting report. That's three of the commissioners. Mm -hmm. All right. At the last meeting... Be, and, and by the way, the reason they did this is because they didn't buy the single bullet theory. I don't have to go through that. Your listeners probably don't know what that is. All right. They were ready to record a dissenting opinion. Now, if you can believe it, but it's true. The Warren Commission guys, the other four, knew they were going to do this. So what did they do? They faked out these guys by having a woman there making believe she was a stenographer she wasn't a sonographer, okay, because a sonography contract ran out three days before the meeting. That's the kind of subterfuge that Alan Dulles and John McCloy and Gerald Ford would resort to, to try and make believe that they had a unanimous report. Jerry Ford later told the president of France, Stang, that we knew that Oswald didn't act alone. We knew there was an organization behind it, but we couldn't find out who that organization was. If you're counting, that's four. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. it was a minority report. <laughs> yeah, very true. I've got to take a very quick break for a 30-second news update. I'll be back with you, James D. Eugenio. We'll talk further about the JFK assassination. Almost 60 years to the day, would you believe? This is TNT Radio. We're ready. We're ready. The news is our business, and we never close, never close. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Beijing has cautioned Canberra against making reckless accusations against China after Australia accused a Chinese warship of injuring one of its Navy divers off the coast of Japan. Celebrations are continuing in Argentina, where libertarian economist Javier Millet was elected president on Sunday. And France claims to have conducted its first successful test firing of a long-range ballistic missile designed to be launched from nuclear submarines. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's news talk, TNT Radio. James D. Eugenio has been covering aspects of the JFK assassination almost all his life, certainly since, of course, it all happened. Um, he has a new book out uh, this month, only a few days ago it's been published, The JFK Assassination Chokeholds That Proved There Was a Conspiracy. Let's smudge the lines once again, James. The Warren report concluded the two bullets struck John F. Kennedy. Three shots were fired and the first missed. The second, the so-called magic bullet, passed through Kennedy and tore into Governor Connolly, causing all his wounds. Did the so-called magic bullet have an implausible trajectory, as some of us have heard? 
Well, I'll go further than that, Chris. I don't think CE399 was even fired that day in Dealey Plaza. But if you believe the Warren Commission, if you believe the Warren Commission, this bullet started as a going down a downward angle from the sixth floor. It hit Kennedy at about five and a half inches below his neck. Then it reverted upward to go through his body, and it would have to be coming upward, you know, from that angle. Okay, but then somehow it flattened the angle. All right, and then it hit uh, it hit Conley uh, below his right shoulder blade, went through his chest. Okay, and then went to the right and smashed through his wrist. But then, and I'm not done, smashed <laughs> through his right wrist and then turned left and went into his upper thigh. Okay, now that's just a trajectory. If you ask me, it never happened. Okay, and in the book, we talk about how FBI agent Bardwell Odom was supposed to have shown CE-399, the magic bullet, to the first witnesses who discovered it at Parkland Hospital, Daryl Tomlinson and O.P. Wright, all right? And in the Warren Commission volumes, it says they confirmed that this was the bullet. Guess what? That was all a lie because Gary Aguilar <coughs> and Tink Thompson called up Odom and they said, did you really do this, what it says in the Warren Commission? Did you show this bullet to these two guys? And he says, no, I never did any such thing. I never even handled that bullet. And I certainly would have remembered because I knew O.P. Wright. He was a friend of mine. All right. So in other words, the FBI lied. Hmm. All right. To, to make this thing believable when, in fact, it's not believable. Is there evidence that Kennedy was shot from the infamous grassy knoll? Yes, I would say so. And in fact, that's one of the chapters in the book where we outline proof of a frontal shot. See, one, and if you study bullet uh, fragmentation, the point of entry is usually where the smaller particles are located because they don't have very much power to break through the tissue as they go through the body, mm -hmm. whereas the larger fragments do. Well, if you take a look at Kennedy's x-rays, up here in the, uh, the temple area, the forehead, are the small dust-like particles, whereas the larger particles are located near the middle and the back of his head. So that's strong indications, as well as the baseball-sized hole in the back of Kennedy's skull that 42 witnesses saw at both Parkland Hospital and Bethesda Naval, Naval Center. And finally, of course, there's the proof of the Zapruder film, which I believe certainly suggests that Kennedy was hit from the front and his and his body ricocheted off the back seat with that kind of force. How many shooters were there? Well, I would again, I'm speculating here because we, we, we don't know for sure, but I would say there were three. I say there was one from the Grassy Knoll area, one from the Dell Tex building across the street in the depository and i think there was probably one on either the fifth or sixth floor of the texas school book depository not at the oswald window though at the other end of that floor u.s presidential candidate robert f kennedy jr released a statement on monday honoring the upcoming 60th anniversary of his uncle's assassination and called for the release of the remaining classified 
assassination files. Why has the Biden administration refused to release more JFK assassination documents, James? You know, I'm really glad you asked me that question, Chris. All right, because it's really, really a disgrace that they haven't. Um, There's 4,000 documents left. Now, I'm sure you know that according to law, they were all supposed to be released in 2017, October Mm. of 2017. Trump said he was going to do it. Then he backed out of it. He had a six-month delay, then a three-year delay. Well, that passed over past the election. So it fell to Biden. He delayed it. And then a few weeks ago, Joe Biden went even further than Donald Trump. Joe Biden essentially violated the law. He overruled Congress and said, we are not going to follow the JFK Records Collection Act. I'm going to change the law and I'm going to set up this special court. And I'm not exaggerating, by the way. You know, and the FBI and the CIA and the State Department are going to be able to make pleas to this board, this new board that I'm going to talk about. Okay, it's National Classification Board. In my opinion, and I don't think I'm being exaggerated or or hyperbole, we are never going to see those final documents, Chris. Really? Okay. No, I don't really think we are. All right. When you, when you break the law with impunity, which is what Biden just did, okay, and the media doesn't say one single word about it, all right, then that means they can get away with it, and I think they will get away with it. James, what are they hiding? You know, I'm really glad you asked me that, too. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm sure you know who George Joannides was. George mm-hmm. Joannides was running the whole Cuban exile operation in New Orleans in the summer of 1963. And he lied about this two or three times. And the CIA backed him up in that lie. They didn't want anybody to know he was doing this. All right. In the summer of 1963, he was issued something called SI, which is CIA acronym for Special Intelligence. All right. This is one of the documents that we haven't seen yet. All right. What special intelligence was George Joannides getting in this while he was monitoring Oswald yeah. and, and the Cuban exiles in the summer of 1963? Why has it been a secret now for all these decades? Okay. I believe it has something to do with Mexico City, the whole charade that's going to go down later in Mexico City, which is CIA orchestrated. So that's just one thing. I believe that that they don't want to reveal to the public. So the government is still trying to protect the likes of their controversial agencies like the FBI, like the CIA or yes. like they're still trying to protect them after all of these years. Well, it, I'll go further than that, Chris. After my experience with this, I'm ready to say that the government is the FBI and the CIA. Right. They actually run things. I mean, look. I mean, look what they've done. Yeah. You know. Okay. Then they've gotten away with it. Are you shocked that the Biden administration has failed to provide adequate security for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. in his presidential campaign? It is almost a giveaway that they are prepared to risk his life. You know, I hate to say that, 
but it sure as heck looks that way, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's this so-called 120-day rule, okay, that you, you're only supposed to get Secret Service for something like four months before the election. But that rule has been rescinded and waived in other cases. I believe it was for Trump and also for Obama. Now, I can't imagine a candidate more than Robert Kennedy Jr. who needs to have that rule waived. I mean, come on. Okay, this guy had his father and his uncle taken away from him by political assassinations. Mm. You know, so I, I mean, come on, give me. And by the way, he I I don't know if you know this, but he's paying something like $250,000 a month for a private security service. Yeah. Okay, to protect him. And, and his wife's not happy. Right. I agree. And I, I, he has every right to be, you know. Let me ask you a question. And I'm asking a question from a listener who's j- just jumped on our chat box on TNTradio.live and has asked this. Is it possible that the government is hiding nothing because they've discovered that the authorities at the time discovered that they can't find out who did it? Well, that would be a very benign look at, at something like a 60-year cover-up. Yeah. You know, I imagine it's possible, but I don't think it's very likely. Yeah. I don't think it's very likely. Okay, you know, I especially if you believe as I do, and as many informed people believe, that this conspiracy took place inside the ranks of the government. Yeah. You know, so... Is it possible, apart from the documents, James, is it possible that there isn't anyone alive today who can tell the full story? You know, I hate to say this, but I think that would be true. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of the top conspirators, you know, are are still around today, you know, and and that's that's very, very discouraging when you think about it, you know, that they all escaped so-called this Hamlet's mortal coil without having been brought to justice, not one of them, you know, very uh, well, discouraging. It is. I, I, I talk about the JFK assassination, well, certainly in my career quite often, usually on the anniversary, and I often hear from, from Americans who tell me, we have a right to know why they can't tell us everything. So what I'm suggesting to you, James, is, how about a little bit of transparency, but not total transparency? Leave the documents where they are if you think that that's exactly the better course. But tell us why. Give us some indication as to why they cannot be revealed. Well, they won't even do that. You know, they, you know, see, one of the things that Biden changed in the law is that if something was going to be exempted, you had to describe what was in the document. All right. You know, and they haven't even done that. Mm. If you can believe this and remember, I'm sure you're aware of this. The records review board was set up way back in 1994 as a result of the firestorm of controversy over Oliver Stone's 1991 movie JFK. Mm. Well, if you have had, let's see, what is that? Something like over 25 years. Go ahead and go through every document and you know what is in the document. What is so hard about describing what's in the document? You know, but they haven't even done that. 
which is which is really kind of mind boggling when you know when you think about it. That's the kind of arrogance these guys have. We're very privy in more modern life because people are so on the ball as to how things work. But we're more privy to understanding how things are covered up, how conspiracies occur, how criminal conspiracies are created. And so therefore we get and understand how things can go awry. If this were to occur in 2023, in two days' time, do you think things would have been kept under wraps? Or do you think no, so no, you, know you why? have to wait 60 years? You, you, you know why? I, I believe it wouldn't wouldn't be able to happen again because what? of the of the proliferation of the media. Yeah. See, back then, you yeah. only had the big three, okay, yeah. TV stations. You had maybe two or three major newspaper outlets. And they Today, operated in unison, as we said at the beginning of the interview. Right. Today, there is so much, you know, we have the World Wide Web. We have all these alternative radio stations, you know. Uh, so I think it'd be very difficult uh, in order to try and pull something off like this today. I don't think it would get very far myself. It's astonishing still that after 60 years, like you'd understand that after 25 or 30 years, there still would be questions that Americans would like answered, but 60 years and we still none the wiser. I think that's I think that's generally true. And I also believe um, that the, the question of who was John Kennedy, I believe that has even been more covered up and concealed than the circumstances surrounding his assassination. Okay, because I believe if you examine the who, then you'll understand the why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jason, uh, one of our listeners, has sent a question, a very simple one for you, James. Where does Jack Ruby fit into all of this? In, in, in my opinion, Oswald was not supposed to survive the Texas theater, his capture to Texas theater that yeah. day. He made so much of a ruckus that they couldn't shoot him because everybody was looking at him. All right. So therefore, I believe that the CIA called in its old buddy, organized crime. And uh, they said, we need to have this guy polished off. Okay. Before he starts talking. Okay. Because there's a danger. He will talk to save mm -hmm. his life. All right. And I believe they called in their chits. Okay. With the syndicate. And I believe something like this. I think Traficante, the big Florida Don called up his buddy, Louis McCooley, who Ruby adored. He idolized Louis McCooley. Uh, and then that's how that's how Oswald got polished off by Jack Ruby. Yeah. Fascinating. The ins and outs of this fascinating still after 60 years. Great to have you on the program. All the very best with the book, which is titled The JFK Assassination Chokeholds That Prove There Was a Conspiracy. James D. Eugenio, thank you very much for your time. Okay, you're very welcome. Bye-bye, Chris. Good on you. Appreciate uh, being on the program. It's great to have him on. Isn't it an interesting? It is the kind of lifetime story you could devote your career to, which is exactly what James has done, dedicated an entire life to this. And when you've got questions still being unanswered, and most Americans aren't convinced that we know the truth, that's the truth. Uh, and so someone like him keeps asking. But as I've pointed out during the interview, and he concurred, 
Those that would know the truth are simply not alive anymore, which is why the pressure is on Biden to release the documents. Why do you think he's not releasing the documents? Is it to protect the agencies involved, the FBI, the CIA? If it were to be found that they were complicit in a conspiracy to take down the President of the United States, they could always argue that this was 60 years ago and these were different people in charge, different people within those agencies. What would be the harm in revealing that? Or am I being too naive? Give us a call on the open line if you're listening from the United States or Canada and you think you can shed some light on all of this. 1-888-201-6425. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. Old Crokey has sent me an email and says, while it's convenient to heap blame on Joe Biden, why did Trump delay the release of the files? Well, you've got this incredible pressure coming from the deep state, incredible pressure coming from the likes of the FBI and the CIA and their cronies, their influential and powerful cronies. So they've both fallen for it. Old Crokey, thank you very much for the email. Let's take a break on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Who says legislation isn't a contact sport? We nearly came to blows today in the United States Senate as Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma squared off against Sean Butterbean O'Brien, the general president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. O'Brien had been very critical of Mullen on X, tweeting, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. Just a clown and a fraud, always has been, always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me, any place, any time, cowboy. Mark Wayne Mullen read that tweet and said, here is a place, now is a time you want to go? And Butterbean said, let's go. Cooler heads like Bernie Sanders intervened. They weren't going to come to blows anyway. This wasn't quite the caning of abolitionist Republican Senator Charles Sumner by pro-slavery Democrat Senator Preston Brooks of South Carolina in 1856, but it was good to see a Republican show a little spine, show a little enthusiasm for his position. Now, if we can only get Mark Wayne as focused on election integrity efforts and on budgetary issues as he is on posts on X. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. Prediabetes does. One in three adults has prediabetes, but with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. And you can change the outcome. Take the one-minute pre-diabetes risk test today. Go to doihaveprediabetes.org. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Let me give you a very, very quick update of what's been developing in the Gaza Strip because people are interested in how it's going, are interested in whether Israel is getting closer to taking out Hamas. As we'll find out a little later in the program when I catch up with former intelligence officer Shane Healy, uh, Israel too have been the subject of attack as they try and extract Hamas from that region. 
Um, at least 12 people, though, and this is the biggest story today related to the Gaza Strip, at least 12 people were killed and dozens, dozens wounded at the Indonesian hospital, according to officials in Gaza, after witnesses reported Israeli tanks moving towards it. Um, fighting erupted around another embattled Gazan hospital. Chaos, darkness and fire was how it was described. The WHO says critical trauma care is not possible at any of Gaza's hospitals. Premature babies have been evacuated from a Gaza hospital and have arrived in Egypt. Others, they never had a chance, but at least there are some that have been evacuated and now safely cared for in Egypt, thanks to uh, sections of the UN. Visual evidence shows that the ship captured by Houthis was hijacked near southern Yemen. Um, and there are other bits and pieces. Israeli's military has released a video which shows uh, Hamas tunnel at Al-Shifa Hospital. That happened a, a little less than 24 hours ago, um, but certainly not a hive of tunnels or a labyrinth of tunnels existing under Al-Shifa, which they were alleging was the case. Yes, tunnels. Yes, tunnels. Were they uh, used by Hamas? Obviously. Uh, are they being used now by Hamas? Well, not now, but were they used, say, since October 7? Quite possibly. Uh, were they therefore placed there as a shield? You'd have to say yes. You'd have to say yes. And it's part of the Hamas MO. Uh, Rob has written on the chat line, the genocide must stop. I think the whole world is uh, thinking the same thing, that the genocide must stop. Uh, one quick email here from Jason, who writes from New Norfolk. That's in Tasmania in Australia. That was absolutely fantastic. He's referring to the interview with James D. Eugenio. Just watched one day in America on Paramount about JFK. It is just fascinating. Yeah, some people are, you know, have spent their life fascinated by what they have been told and what they think they know. Um, and in many ways, that's what keeps people interested because things are still kept secret. In, you you, you kind of wonder that in 2023 that that would be the case. Not, not because things are not kept secret now. We're constantly faced by secrets. And, you know, media spend enormous amounts of money getting into court with FOI submissions, and some of it never, ever appears or is unsealed. And it's frustrating. So there are secrets. But secrets related to what happened 60 years ago? It is hard to fathom what the point of that would be. Now, talking about things that can go wrong, from Honolulu, a US Navy plane, as you would have heard in the news, has overshot a runway. Now, I don't know whether you picked up the pictures, but you'll no doubt catch the pictures very easily when you next uh, see our news bulletin. because. This is quite extraordinary. Um, it kept on top of the surface of the water, despite overshooting the runway. Um, and those who were on the plane, there weren't many people, but they were able to get off the plane and swim back to the runway to safety. Um, it splashed into a bay in Hawaii, but authorities said all nine people aboard made it safely to shore with no injuries. All nine were obviously good swimmers. The Coast Guard responded, but rescue operations were quickly called off. 
according to Petty Officer Ryan Fisher of the Coast Guard. It sounds like all parties involved were rescued. The P-8A aircraft overshot the runway at a marine base in uh, in the bay, said uh, a Marine Corps spokesperson. He didn't have any further information. So that's all the information there is. But there are pictures of that moment after the plane overshot the runway and was floating in the water. It was almost surreal to see it all uh, all happen. Now, next hour on the program, I am going to catch up with um, our good friend Prue McSween. I usually speak to Prue on a Wednesday, but there's been a little bit of a, a jostling of positions. Senator Holly Hughes is quite busy today, so she's asked to come onto the program tomorrow. So a swap has been done, so Prue McSween will join us next hour on the program. Um, as will Shane Healy. You've heard from Shane a couple of times on this show about strategic moves in Gaza City and what uh, the Israelis are planning on doing. Um, as for um, those uh, uh, who are in that hospital that was shelled today, apparently people are safe, um, but 12 people have been killed in the nearby vicinity. Uh, Rishi Sunak thought the government should just let people die. This is a huge story in the UK uh, today. As arguments raged over a second lockdown, the COVID inquiry has been told. So Patrick Valance, the then chief scientific advisor, made a note in his diary on October 25, 2020, about a meeting in which Boris Johnson argued for letting it all rip. And Mr. Sunak, who was Chancellor at the time, agreed according to the entry. You couldn't trust anyone. If you were in politics, you could never trust anyone who was sitting in a meeting and writing notes because down the track, when things go totally pear-shaped, they come out and dob on you. So you can't be frank about the fact that you cannot control COVID and that those who are, you know, uh, have comorbidities, probably need to fend for themselves, they're at most risk. Um, it, it is an obvious thing to say that you can't you can't help these people. And that was the realisation during COVID-19, especially if they didn't want to take therapies and et cetera, et cetera. So all of these statements are made and they're always embellished at the time and they're always meant for a private audience, not a public audience of the world population. But here we have a COVID inquiry and it's all just coming out with Boris Johnson saying, let's let it rip. Uh, and Mr. Sunak agreeing. Dominic Cummings, Mr. Johnson's chief advisor until November 2020, told the October 25 meeting, Rishi thinks just let people die and that's okay. So Patrick said he did not personally hear Mr. Sunak expressed such an opinion, but told the inquiry, that's what Dominic Cummings said. Now, as we've discovered from testimony um, delivered by Dominic Cummings, he's a, a very, uh, uh, he can be prone to anger, uh, uh, angry outbursts, and he can be prone to embellishment. So I have a feeling that uh, the Prime Minister will be getting all full barrels, both barrels out for Dominic Cummings and uh, rejecting what he's alleging at the COVID inquiry that he said, just let them all die. But massive bombshell at the COVID inquiry. And uh, to hear the kinds of statements that may have gone on behind the scenes indicates what a chaotic COVID cabinet they had in London. 
and probably just about everywhere else as well. I've got to take a break. I'll get to Prove Sweeney next hour. This is TNT Radio.